want to ask Eric if you'd come and uh, share some scripture with us that you have and uh, pray for us this morning. All right, I'm going to be in James 1, verse 22. But be doers of the world and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let us pray. Dear Lord, let us not be led astray by the words of men who look only to honor themselves. Let us be doers of the word. Let us not twist your word to fit our own passions or narratives, but rather open our hearts to your word and speak it boldly and truthfully. For what we speak and do is truly from the heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah. 
seated and as you're being seated if any of you'd like to join me here at the front we're just going to go to the Lord in prayer right now and there's a host of things to pray for we have uh, I don't know 30 35 of us are gone this morning to the junior camp at Lake Salatiska so you can certainly be praying for our adults and and uh, they're helping out and all the kids that are there and then we'll have about that number going on later this week for the senior camp so this would be a good opportunity for us to pray for them this morning and uh, I know there's farmers that need a lot of prayer for right now it's been a rough summer so let's just go to the Lord in prayer together like I said you can join me here at the front if you'd like Father, we come before you this morning as as your people redeemed by the blood of Christ. We're told in your word that we can come boldly to your very throne room of grace. So we come this morning and we ask God that you would please help us, Lord, because we are in need and we always are. We thank you, Lord, that we can meet together freely this morning. We thank you for the freedoms that we have here in America. Thank you for our soldiers that are serving in many different places around the world on behalf of the United States. And thank you for those that have give, even given their lives so that we could, we could have the freedoms that we enjoy. Father, we pray that our freedom that we enjoy would not become an excuse to do contrary to your word. And so as we have such thankful hearts for the nation in which we live, we are also so burdened for the values upon which our nation stands now, it seems, or or those that are advocated so widely. Forgive us, Lord, and we pray that you'd bring about repentance among those that profess to know Jesus, for leaders in our nation that profess to know Christ, yet advocate legislation and values and things that are clearly opposed to your word, Father. And then we pray for the unsaved, Lord. We pray for them to to become true believers, true followers that submit themselves to your word so that others in this world might hear the true gospel, Lord. And whether America continues to exist for another 200 and so years or not, Lord, we know that there is one nation made up of Jews and Gentiles in which Jesus is king. And our longing and our prayer is that there would be those from every tribe and tongue and every people group, just as you've promised, Lord, just as you desire, that would be part of this kingdom, that nation, Lord, 
So Lord, work, work in your church, work in this local church, bring about revival and repentance. Father, we do pray this morning for our children, our young people that are in camp this week and the senior camp later and the adults that are working there. Lord, just bless and may the gospel be presented clearly and wisely this week. And I pray that your spirit would be at work. Father, we pray for our farmers in the area. Lord, it's been so affected by the abundance of rain. Uh, Lord, it sounds like it's going to be a hard hard summer for a, for a lot of people. So, Father, we pray that you'd, you'd be with them and uh, show, them that, show them that hope was found in Christ. And, and Lord, that uh, you would just provide what's needed for them. We know there's other needs represented here this morning as well, Father, and marriages are in need, and some are in financial need here, and there's health problems, Lord, and others just overwhelmed with a sense of loneliness today. And so, Father, we pray that each need that's represented here, that you meet it according to your riches and glory in Christ. Father, take now the offerings and tithes we're about to give. Use it to extend your kingdom, make Jesus' name known where it's not and treasured. And do this for your name's sake. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to ask our ushers right now that are helping with this morning's offering to come. And children that are going to children's church this morning, you can be dismissed for children's church. Sometimes I tell folks that uh, there's nothing worse than a long-winded preacher. It's one that likes to sing too. But the good news, not only going to, uh, helpful news anyway, I, you're going to sing with me. So we're going to, this is a kind of corn casual Sunday. I think Randy Mullinax, former pastor, used to say that whenever corn day was coming up. And so I kind of mentioned that last week. And, and uh, Jerry Newkirk and I go to sing at the nursing home once a month over here. And we sing some, some old songs that some of those folks are real familiar with. And so we thought we'd lead you in a couple of those this morning, kind of to segue into the message this morning. So I'm going to ask you all to stand up with me. We're going to sing a couple of these this morning. Alrighty. Now you got to sing good, all right? <laughs> sing like you mean it. Here we go. Well, I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light, I saw the light, I saw the light. No more in darkness, no more in night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Just like a blind man, I wandered long. Cause worries and fears I claim for my own. And like the blind man that God gave back his sight, praise the Lord, I saw the light. Well, I saw the light, I saw the light. No more in darkness, no more in night. Now I'm so happy, sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I was a fool to wander and stray. 
Call straight is the gate and narrow the way. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Well, I saw the light, I saw the light. No more in darkness, no more in night. Now I'm so happy, sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Well, I saw the light, I saw the light. No more in darkness, no more in night. Now I'm so happy, sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. Makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. It's good enough for me. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul and Silas. It was good for Paul and Silas. It's good enough for me. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. It was good for the Hebrew children. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. It was tried in a fiery furnace. It was tried in a fiery furnace. It was tried in a fiery furnace. It's good enough for me. It will do when I'm dying. It will do when I'm dying. It will do when I'm dying. It's good enough for me. It will take us all to heaven. It will take us all to heaven. It will take us all to heaven. It's good enough for me. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. Amen. Now, if I didn't, now you can take your Bible. Go ahead and take your Bible. Don't sit down. <laughs> Don't sit down. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 15. So we can read the scripture together. Matthew chapter 15. And while you're turning, I'll put this up. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. Now, if I thought I could get away with it, we would have went ahead and sung Rocky Top too, but probably couldn't get away with that. Matthew chapter 15. Verse 1, 
Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Verse 15. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But what to eat with, unwa but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you for your word. I ask God that you would work in us in such a way that it would be the desire of our heart to submit completely and fully to your word, not to take away from it or to add to it. You're king. You're the creator. You gave us life. Who are we to make up our own rules about how to live? Who are we to say what's right and wrong? You have said it. So Lord, teach us this morning and teach us about the condition of our hearts. For your name's sake and for the joy of your people, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, I love the old song, Give Me That Old-Time Religion. But a question comes to mind as I sing the, that old song, and I often preface by singing that when I sing that song at the nursing home with Jerry. What kind of religion are we talking about? What is, an, what is the old-time religion? What is it that we're wanting when we sing that? It's one of those songs that I like, but it's a song that's probably understood by what we mean by that for a lot of people but it's not really clear in its content. And that's one reason we don't sing it all the time because it's just one of those that could be better if it had better content. What is it that'll take us all to heaven? You know, it'll take us all to heaven. It'll, what, what is it? What is this religion? What comes to mind when we're singing, give me that old time religion? You know, today we say corn day casual. And I mentioned last Sunday, we'll dress up casual or dress up old-timey. 
And I thought to myself, well, we're fairly casual anyway already, you know. So, so Tim got it right. You know, he wore his overalls today. I was going to wear mine, but I don't have mine no more. But, um, so what, what, what does old timey come, you know, come to mind when you think? I mean, I'm surprised we're not all wearing suits and dresses today because that's kind of old timey, right? That, that's kind of how people always wore Sunday best to church. And, and there's people want to argue about that kind of stuff today still, you know, about how you ought to dress when you come to church. And, well, for some people, when they sing, give me that old-time religion, it's, it's how you dress when you come to church comes to mind. Or it's the kind of songs we used to sing when we went to church, give me that old-time religion. It's, or it's more of just a, a cultural moment in American history, give me that old-time religion, you know. Well, I can tell you what came, came to mind when the Pharisees might have sang the old song, Give Me That Old Time Religion. When the religious Jewish people called the Pharisees who studied God's word, the Old Testament, they knew it frontwards and backwards, but they didn't know it in their heart. When they thought, Give Me That Old Time Religion, this is how it sounded. We wash our hands before we eat. We wash our hands before we eat. We wash our hands before we eat. Why don't you do the same? Well, isn't that what we see in the passage of Scripture here? What, isn't that what they're accusing the disciples of? Well, I imagine there's some young folks in here this morning, some children thinking, this is an interesting passage of Scripture. They're, my mom and dad's telling me all the time, wash my hands before we eat, and Jesus is getting on to them for saying it. What's going on here? Well, there's nothing wrong, kids. I'm sorry to tell you, it's a good thing to wash your hands. It's a good thing. And there's nothing wrong with washing your hands before you eat. And in fact, that's a really healthy practice. So why is Jesus so upset about the Pharisees coming and telling the disciples they need to wash their hands before they eat? Why is Jesus so upset at these Pharisees? You know, sometimes uh, we can get the accusation of Pharisee waged against us pretty quickly when we want to be clear about what God's word says and then others will say, you're just being a Pharisee, you're just being legalistic, you're just being nitpicky, you're being too serious, lighten up. When you begin to become serious about what God's word says, then you're going to be accused of things that way. Um, when we try to go clearly by what the Bible says, Pharisees, legalists, all you care is about, by, you don't really care about people. Or maybe something's not real clear in Scripture, not absolutely clear, but we're trying to be wise in our practice. And this may be as a church family or it may be as your family at home. You're trying to be wise. Well, the Bible doesn't address every specific thing that we may face in life black and white and clearly, but there are biblical principles and we seek to be wise. So we look at other places in Scripture that say, well, even though the Bible doesn't address this particular topic clearly, is it still wise to proceed with this or is it wise not to? And we glean those principles from, other part, from, from the book of Proverbs, for example, or just Scripture in general. And when we seek to be like that and meticulously trying to submit ourselves to the Word of God, we will get labeled a Pharisee fairly quickly. Legalist, the word comes to mind. And then sometimes the, uh, 
the notion of being a Pharisee is warranted. In this case, the Pharisees who were Pharisees, Jesus was upset at them just as we could be guilty of the same thing because what they were doing is when they insisted on their hands being washed is they thought it in some way was another thing that made them right with God. So when it is warranted for you to be called a Pharisee, for someone to say you're a legalist, and when it should stick is when you think that your interpretation of Scripture of a particular practice in Scripture, that that thing is making you right with God. Because nothing makes you right with God except the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in Him. For the Pharisees, washing their hands before they eat was just another rung on the ladder. Look at me. I wash my hands before I eat. I'm better than you are. I'm on my way to heaven. I've created this stairway to heaven of my own rules and regulations and traditions. So when we think it makes us right with God then we're a legalist, a Pharisee. When we insist on others doing this, that's not black and white in Scripture. It's our conviction based on biblical principles. And then we insist on others doing it, and if they don't do it, they're not as good a Christian as we are, or they're not a Christian at all, then we become a legalist and a Pharisee. When we start coming up with things and, and, and imposing it on others and expecting them to do it, then we become a Pharisee. When we're as, as much, and this is more explicit from the passage of Scripture, when we're as, as, as much or more concerned about man's traditions than we are about God's Word, then we're a Pharisee. And wasn't that the case here? In fact, if you look in verses 5 through 6 in the passage of Scripture, you'll notice he, Jesus says, but, if you, but you say, Notice back in verse 4, for God commanded, honor your father and mother, right? We know that commandment. That's explicit. You are to honor your father and mother. Don't do that, you sin. There's nothing pharisaical about telling somebody they need to do that, right? That's just what Scripture says. But you say, verse 5, if anyone tells his father or mother what you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your traditions, you've made void the word of God. They're saying that it's acceptable at times not to honor your father or your mother because you've made a vow. And therefore you don't need to give what and take care of your parents or whatever the, the, current, the particular situation might be. That's what verse 5 and 6 is talking about. So another verse of their old time religion would be we honor our parents but we made a vow. We'd honor our parents but we made a vow. We'd honor our parents but we made a vow. So we're still right with God. That would be another verse of their give me that old time Religion. It's a man-made religion. It's a religion that's comfortable. It's a religion that does not submit itself finally to the Word of God. And do you know what Jesus says about their old-time religion of the Pharisees? He says they're just putting on their play act in verse 7. Notice what he says. He says they're hypocrites. You see that in verse 7? You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're just acting like they know God. Why? Because these religious actors sound like this. They sound like they know God, but their actions show that their heart's far from God. 
They're just religious. Well, here's really where the, the message this morning comes that I want to appeal to you, and I believe God is appealing to us through this word. Brothers and sisters, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to just be a bunch of religious people that do a lot of religious things and we really don't know God. How tragic is that? He says, in vain do they worship me. It's all a waste. It's empty. It means nothing. That's what he says in the scripture. So when I think of the old song, give me that old time religion, and I'm not bashing that song. I love that old song. That's the reason we sing at the nursing home. They, love, they remember it. They enjoy it. And when I try to set it in its context when we sing it as well. So when I think of that song, give me that old time religion, it, it makes me want to consider what kind of religion is it that I'm wanting? Give me that old time religion. What, what religion do I really want? And, and, I, and what should be true about us in answering that question is we don't want, I don't want a man-made religion like the Pharisees, right? We don't want that. We don't want to be guilty of that. God help us not to be guilty of creating our own religion. Now, Patrick Henry, who said, give me liberty or give me death, in 1776, also said these words that I ran across this week. He said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For that reason alone, people of other faiths have been afforded freedom of worship here. Well, I guess what propelled me and compelled me to share that quote with you is just on his clarity on the difference between us not being founded on religionist people that are religious, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I appreciated that clarity. So it leads me back, really, I think, to the primary question for this passage of Scripture this morning that we need to ask ourselves, because we don't want to be guilty of just being religious and lost. How can I keep from being someone who acts religious but in reality is far from God? Isn't that really the main question I think that comes up out of this? How can I keep from being somebody that's just religious but is, but is in fact far from God? We meet a lot of people like that. I meet a lot of people that say they're not religious at all, that, that uh, they don't think about God. They would refer to themselves as an agnostic or an atheist, when, which in fact is a form of religion. It's self-worship. But, but a lot of people claim to know God. Some claim to know Jesus and, and claim to be very religious. But upon further examination, whose hearts appear to be far from God. Well, we're not here to talk about other people this morning. We're here because we don't want to be guilty of acting religious but having a heart far from God. This is what God is saying to you this morning. This is what God wants you. This is a check for your spirit, for how you lead your family for how we do things as a church. So when, when we sing or when you sing, give me that old time religion on a Sunday morning, or whether it's, whether it's that or it's crying out to prayer every morning like we should be, cry this out to God. Cry out, number one, give me unwavering conviction about the sole authority of the Bible. 
Give me unwavering conviction about the sole, S-O-L-E, sole authority of the Bible. That means there's no other authority that I'm going to look to. The sole authority of the Bible. So on my blue truck out here, my Dodge truck, um, my license plate, they told me when I got my veteran's license plate, I could get some, you know, you got four letters you could pick. And I was going to put Vols for Tennessee Volunteers on there, but somebody already had it. So I picked SOLA, S-O-L-A, SOLA. And I've had some people ask me, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's Latin. It comes from the Protestant reference. Give me some witnessing opportunities. And it's Latin. It means alone. And one of the phrases that comes from the Protestant Reformation is sola scriptura, scripture alone. So as I share the gospel with someone in that context, I can say, well, first of all, I look to the Bible alone for what I believe about going to heaven. Nothing else. And so let me share with you what the Bible says. It seems to me that that's the issue here in this passage of Scripture. It's Scripture alone, isn't it? Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3 just so you see it again if you're looking at your Bible. He answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God? And notice what the rest of it says. For the sake of your tradition. You see it? Commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. And then again... In verse 6, He need not honor His Father, so for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the Word of God. Got it? That's the issue here. Sola Scriptura, the Latin phrase, Scripture alone. The Pharisees know the Scripture front and backwards, they should. But just because they know it well, doesn't mean they're submitting to it alone. Instead, they've made up their own rules, their own traditions, their own regulations. Some, like washing their hands before they eat, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. Except that they insist on something they've made up, and yet hypocritically they break what God has clearly commanded. It just struck me this morning when I was reading this again, just the, just the phrase here, the commandment of God in the middle of verse 3. And then if you look at the end of verse 6, the last three words of verse 6 in this translation, what's it say? The Word of God. Are we aware at this very moment that our heart beats and we have life and breath because it was given to us, that we were created that as you hear these words come out of my mouth and you sit in these chairs with your friends and family, that there's a creator God watching over us right now that has given us life as a gift. And rather than being a creator God who's created you and created this world and just sits back and watches it with no care for it, this is a God who has spoken the word of God, this God speaks. He's given commandments. Why? Because He loves His glory and He loves us. So He says to Adam and Eve, I forbid you to do this. 
You got everything, but I forbid you to do this. Don't break my laws. Don't break my commandments. He loves them. He's reminding them of who's king, that he's the creator. Find your fulfillment and joy in God. Well, the Pharisees have know the word of God front and backwards, like I said, but they've made up their own religion. They've made up their traditions. They love their old time religion. So when Jesus comes and he says the things that he says to them, well, they, they don't like it too much, do they? We might say to ourselves, what's any of this have to do with us in our time in which we live? We're talking about Pharisees 2,000 years ago. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Well, let me tell you, the time has come. The time has come. When we think to ourselves, give me that old-time religion, it may take us back to a cultural moment in American history. We may think about the kind of songs people used to sing in the church that we like and appreciate or how people used to dress or, or even the, the uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night was the church week and all that kind of thing. All those forms may come to mind. And some people get worked up over it a lot. And I'm not saying those things are not important questions to ask. But it seems to me that what should concern us even more so when we think, give me that old-time religion, we should be thinking, Lord, give us the time when men were not accumulating to themselves teachers having itching ears. Give us a time when, when the church was concerned about sound doctrine and not about entertaining a crowd. Give us the time when we were willing to say, this is what God's Word says, and we don't care what the culture says. But instead, I was talking to someone this week in our church just how upside down this country is. Have you ever seen, have, could, you, could you ever imagine a more upside down world? Where we can't have Betsy Ross flag on our Nike shoes or we're concerned supposedly about oppressed women but not oppressed women. Girls, unborn girls in the womb. So when we say, give me that old time religion, my concern is, is that the, my concern is that the church is, I'm not just saying just this church, I don't see it in this church, but I see it in the church, is continually caving in to accommodation. You notice here Jesus says, you're hypocrites. Your heart is not right with God. And someone might say, why are you so harsh, Jesus? Later the disciples say, don't you know you offended them? And that seems to be what the church is often concerned about. We've offended everybody. So let us be clear. As I was talking with one of our deacons this week, when we're more concerned about being politically correct than about being biblically faithful, then we're neither going to speak clearly nor look holy. We're not going to speak clearly about what the Bible says if we're just concerned about being politically correct all the time. And we're certainly not going to look holy. Well, Jesus is not trying to be politically correct in this passage of Scripture when he calls them hypocrites. 
I'm not saying that's the first tactic we should go to in our evangelism, all right? But cutting it straight for folks sometimes is exactly what they need. Certainly not an accommodation that says your sin is okay or I'm just not going to speak out on this even though I see it clearly in your life. I see this, folks, as a great danger in the church. That the tiptoeing that, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? (laughs) The tiptoeing that we have to be so careful about what we say. I mean, I I feel like that as a preacher often. That that every single word, sometimes I don't even think about it until, until later that somebody has taken something I said and I never even imagined they would go to that place in their mind. That's not what I meant at all. And the temptation for preachers and pastors is increasingly, I think, in the pulpit is is to try to just not say anything, really. I've said to my wife before, you know, sometimes I think I'll just preach and not say anything today. Now, I don't feel like that way all the time, but but I'm trying to empathize with all of us. That's kind of culture in which we live, and I think it creeps not just to pulpits, I think it creeps into our evangelistic conversations in the workplace. I'm not saying we need to get all political and talk about politics, but I'm saying we need to be clear with people about what Scripture says. We're not doing them any favor at all. And so I see as a great danger in the church. I'm very concerned about young people going off to college and, and so forth, and increasingly so, and, and just feeling like they've kind of got to go along with the current cultural flow because it's not hard going the other way. It's not easy going the other way, going with what the Bible says. Well, I probably overstated the point there. You say, go on, preacher. We got it. Well, I hope we do. So one of the things we ought to be saying when we say, give me an old-time religion is, Lord, give me, give me an unwavering conviction about the sole authority of the Bible. That's what I mean by that. God, creator of all things, he's spoken. I hold the Bible over my head like this as a visual illustration of what I'm talking about. If he has spoken, then I am under this word. It reigns over me. It has authority over me. Not me over it. It has authority over me. Whether I like it or not, what it says, whether I can reconcile it in my mind. Sometimes we have to live with some tension. This is a great big God. His ways are not our ways. Sometimes I have to just live with some mystery and tension and not be able to reconcile some things. But yet I say, but that's what the Bible says. And whether it's popular or not, whether I can reconcile it in my finite little little pea brain mind or not, I'm going to say that's what it says and I believe it. But increasingly so, that is not the case around us, folks. And you're going to run into more and more to our brothers and sisters, or at least people who profess faith in Jesus, that are going to seek to pull us in that uh, unbiblical direction. Give me unwavering conviction about the sole authority of the Bible. What do you believe about the Bible? Secondly, let me ask you this question. What do you believe about your heart? Because that's the second phrase. Give me that old-time religion. Give me unwavering conviction about the sole authority of the Bible. Secondly, give me a heart that is undefiled before God. Give me a heart that is undefiled before God. Jesus is concerned not only about the Pharisees' hearts when he says that they're hypocrites, but also about the hearts of the people in the crowd. Look at verses 10 through 11 very quickly. He called the people to him. 
Pharisees came down from Jerusalem. So he calls the people to himself and he says, I'm concerned about you. I want you to come here and listen to what I'm gonna say, verse 10. He called the people to him and said to him, hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And as we explore this and go further into the passage of scripture, what you see is Jesus is concerned, God's concern is the heart. Well, again, in verse 12, I mentioned already, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you know you offended the, the, the Pharisees? They're offended. Well, notice the, the Pharisees in verse 12, if you're looking at your Bible, they're offended. They're not humbled. They're not contrite. They're not convicted. They're not going home and thinking about what Jesus has said and wondering if they could be wrong or not. They're offended. And because of that, Jesus speaks about the condition because Jesus truly does know their heart. You know, somebody could say, we could say, well, what God's really concerned about the heart. And I could hear people right now in our culture and our world saying, that's right. All that matters, God knows my heart and that's all that matters is God knows my heart. God knows your heart and it ought to scare you to death. It should not comfort you one ounce that God knows your heart because your heart is defiled. That's what the word is used later in the passage of Scripture. Man's heart on its best day before God without Christ's righteousness is defiled. It is unclean. It is a filthy thing in the sight of a holy God you are. And that's not going to win any points with this culture, me saying that. But it's the truth. And it's where the gospel starts. Our hearts are defiled before God, unclean. And Almighty God, who comes to earth, the Lord Jesus is pointing this out and saying about these Pharisees here. The reason they're offended is, look, look in verse 13. He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted to be rooted up. It reminds me of the passage of Scripture Matt Fowler preached on while I was in Bosnia. God's got this field and there's weeds growing there and, you know, and there's, there's true believers there as well. And he's saying about these Pharisees is they're like weeds growing in the field. He said, everything, look at it, verse 13 again, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. In other words, these Pharisees claim to be part of God's people. They claim to be religious. He says they're going to be rooted up. Verse 14, what's he say about them? Let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He's saying them. God didn't put them in, that, in, the, in the field. He didn't put them in the church. They never were part of it. They're lost. Their hearts are not right. They're defiled before God. James chapter 1 verse 27 says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction to keep one's self keep one's self unstained from the world the Pharisees on the other hand are concerned about the appearance of being religious the appearance of being holier than thou but it's not affected their life and overflowed into generosity and exhibiting the character of God and keeping one's self unstained from the world 
sometimes uh, go to a hotel room and you check out the cups and a lot of times they'll have glass cups. There's been a couple of times I've had dirty cups in my hotel room. You know, maybe a lipstick stain or something like that on the inside of the cup, maybe. I don't know how you get a lipstick stain on the inside of a cup, I guess. <laughs> Sometimes maybe the person gets in a big rush and cleans the outside of the cup, you know, and but doesn't clean the inside. Jesus talks about that in another passage of Scripture, and I think that's what he's getting at here. Is the Pharisees are real concerned about the outward appearance, about making things cleaned up, looking on the outside, but they've neglected what God's really concerned about is the inside. Jesus comes along and preaches like he does in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Pharisees, yeah. I've never committed adultery, the Pharisees say, but I say to you, if you look on a woman to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Pharisees don't want to hear that because Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is this, folks. If you look, you can see the same sort of things you see in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 19. Or let's look at verse 18 first. For what, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. It all starts in the heart. That's what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. The problem is the heart. And what we need to cry out to is, God, give me a heart that is undefiled before you. If I'm to submit myself to the sole authority of the Word of God, I need a heart that is undefiled before God. Because my heart's not clean. Verse 20, these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hand does not defile anybody. The Lord's concerned, not about our religious system. I mean, he's concerned about it. But his primary concern is the condition of our hearts. So the reason that we gossip, the reason we say hateful words to our spouse this week, the reason you talk back to your mom and dad, the reason you, you slander somebody, the reason you have lustful thoughts that you can't share with anybody else, but you know, maybe you don't look at pornography, maybe you'd like to, maybe you don't cheat on your spouse, but you have thoughts in your head sometimes. Where's all this coming from? It's coming from your heart. You can't blame it on the devil. James says, don't, don't blame the devil. It's coming from your heart. It comes from my heart. I'm desperately in need of God's grace and mercy. We sang this song this morning. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. Man, it's dark. What can avail to wash it away? Here's a good part. Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. We need God's grace. We can't be your own savior like the Pharisees. We need Jesus Christ and what he's done. So a real point, quick point of application that I'll just go ahead and get ready to close is we don't want to we want to teach our children the Bible, but we don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to make little Pharisees out of our children either. So be be careful how you talk to your children about biblical convictions that may not be black and white in Scripture, but but this is your family's conviction about it. 
be sure you're not leading them to be proud about something that may not be really clear in Scripture. Does that make sense? I have to be careful about that myself. I had one of my sons asked me this week, he pointed at a church building here in town and asked me, said, Dad, what do they believe there? You know, why, why aren't, you know, and I, I was trying to explain, but I also had to come back and say, but son, just because they believe these things, and uh, that doesn't mean that everybody goes there is not a Christian, son, or that I'm better than they are. Now, we're going to find out one day they were wrong about some things, I believe, and are guilty before God about some of their practices. But, but I need to be, see, I need, I just, y'all see what I'm saying? I need to have that kind of a humble conversation so my, my kids don't become proud. And we, don't, we need to do that for one another too. But I need to have the conversation. We need to teach our children and the people that we're discipling about the condition of their heart. So when they disobey, you know, uh, you, you need to say to them, son, sweetheart, the reason that you did that is because something's wrong on the inside. So the reason I'm getting ready to spank you is to remind you that you've got a worse problem than a spanking. And as they get older, you're more explicit. Your your problem that's worse than a spanking is you're condemned before God and on your way to hell. Now, I don't know that you'd say that to a little tiny kid, right? But that's the truth. That's the weight of what we're talking about. We want them to see that there's a real problem here. It's a whole lot worse than going to time out or getting a spanking or whatever it is. The problem is the heart. So do that for our children. Do it for people we witness to in, in one way or another as well. When we run into people that we meet that we're going to try to witness to, that we feel like God's put on our heart, we need to be ready to share the gospel with them and what Scripture truly says. My prayer for you this morning is if you're here and um, is that you understand that, that you have sinned against God and you are defiled before God. You are not right with Him at all, okay? And if you died today without Jesus, you will, you will suffer in hell forever. And, that, and I'm not saying that to try to scare you into heaven, but that, that's the truth. And it is a right thing for that to happen to you. If, if I were to go to hell, it would be right for me to go to hell. But there was a time in my life where I understood I wasn't right with God, that I was defiled, and I was sorry for my sin. And I understood that God had sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. And when I understood the the glory of that and the beauty of that, I said, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Him. I want to turn from my sin and follow Jesus. And my heart still is that direction. I I don't want to sin against God. I want to follow Jesus. I want Him to be king, and I wrestle and fight every day, but I want Him to be king. And the Bible says, whoever is trusting in Christ, whoever's called on the name of the Lord to be saved, that don't mean just like a one-time decision thing, but whoever's truly been converted, truly been born again, it would not be right for them to go to hell. Okay? Because they're covered by the blood of Jesus. This person that's in Christ Jesus by faith, if that person were to one day go to hell, God would not be right to let that happen to that person. You understand? Because there is security in the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood completely washes away our sin. We are declared right with God, right with Him. Even though we're completely wrong, we're declared right with God through faith in Jesus. 
And God has promised that whoever is trusting in Christ will never perish, will have eternal life. That is good news, folks. And while I plead with those who hear my voice to repent and trust in Jesus, I plead with you as a church family, let us leave this place and be ready to share that good news with others. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this good news. I thank you for the security that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us where we are prone to want to look down on others. We're prone sometimes to impose things on others that your word's not imposing. There's more freedom perhaps in something that we, what we initially see. Lord, we don't want to be that way. We want to be authentic believers, true believers that speak clearly about what your word says clearly, Lord. We don't want to be wishy-washy and tiptoeing around about the truth at all. And Lord, we don't want to be offensive. Lord, help us to be willing to offend with the gospel, but help us not to be offensive in doing so. Father, I pray for those that are unsaved that you would bring them to salvation. Father, I pray for those who are just wrestling with certain issues in their life about things they're convicted about or relation to family or church or whatever it might be, that you would, you would give wisdom and grace and a true conviction about what the Word's teaching, about what would be wise in that particular situation. Do this for your name's sake, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to stand and, and sing just as I am this morning. If you're here this morning, you'd like to come, and we can pray with you about how God's at work in your heart, uh, or you can come and just, just pray up here by yourself or with a friend. You come and do so. I can, I'll talk with you during this time, but let's stand and, and sing together. Amen.